0: To tune into the Daydreaming Sensei Podcast. The show where we explore and discover the surprising connections between subjects that may seem unconnected. As Da Vinci put it, Study the science of art. Study the art of science. Learn how to see and realize that everything connects to everything else. Allow me your daydreaming sensei to guide you as me and my guest co-host take you deeper below the surface of things to make sense of our complex world. Welcome. Episode 1 Netflix's French hit show Call My Agent Marx's idea of alienation or entfremdung, and flow signs Today, we're joined by my dear friend and wellness coach, Dewey Light. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: said you got nervous.
0: Yes, I mean, and I don't know for what, because it's just you and me talking. <laughs> no, and it's not like I'm in a studio or anything. I'm just in a room with <laughs> pillows around me on the wall to cushion the echo effect. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm a huge fan of uh, Call My Agent. And I want to share with you, Dewey, why this show is uh, so dear to me. Um, For me, you know, as a filmmaker, it's a show that celebrates cinema. Of course, uh, the craft of acting and filmmaking, it celebrates its stars. But it does so by deconstructing this polished exterior and the assumptions that we have about cinema to actually deepen our understanding and our appreciation and our connection with its magic. Uh, This show shines the limelight on an industry role that has rarely received screen time, and that's the critical yet somewhat enigmatic agents that represent the stars. So uh, the show centers on a cast of very colorful, very hardworking agents. They're very dedicated to their craft. Uh, and a lot of their clients represent uh, A-list film icons and uh, cinema stars, a lot of whom show up for cameos. And what's so interesting about the show is that they often parody themselves. Uh, they are playing themselves, but it is more a public persona or public idea of who they are and i think it's just as much fun for the stars uh as it is for us to watch them playing themselves as they get to send up uh these public public ideas of who they are right. um so uh what what is your what is your take on the show i i think you have you have you seen a lot of the show so far
2: i mean I watched the one uh, on Isabel, uh, based on what you mentioned. And and that is my very first time. Like, that's the first time I I, I watched that that, uh, episode. And like, to be honest, like the first like few reactions was just, you know, mere curiosity. It was just like, where is this getting to? Right. Because like, the dynamic is just like it was fast. It was nonstop, <laughs> <laughs> and and it was trying to to tell something. It's just like there's a lot of of drama and confusion and kind of like some mild chaos here and there. And you kind of, you you kind of want to just piece it together and, and know what's going on, but then you realize that it's a total mess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's exactly what their, that's what their work lives are like, right? It's um, yeah. it's messy obsessions, but what is so interesting and unique about the show that is different from other workplace dramas or comedies, is that um, there's a certain sweetness or idealism at the heart of what they do, which is um, you know um, they they do all this for art to uh, produce the best possible magic um, best possible pairings of uh, uh, actors with directors and um, and uh, I think that tension for me is what's so interesting about the show because you know as we all know film is a very expensive business so these practicalities um, this messiness that the agents have to negotiate and clean up. This is one of the reasons that actors and directors can throw themselves completely into a project and give it their all is because they, they do so knowing that the parameters have been secured by contracts and are protected by their agents. I think that for me, in our know, modern work and results-obsessed culture, that one of the most successful aspects of the show is the comedy that's able to extract to get from highly relevant and pressing themes regarding work and and that is uh, the theme of workaholism uh, that which we which we see come out really in that uh episode with Isabelle Hupier, uh who you know she is parodying her public persona as a workaholic and I, I, I found that that was so memorable for me, that episode. The crux of this episode and storyline is that Isabel has a, a, um, a challenge. She's double booked. Um, she, even though she signed an exclusive contract to one of the projects, she is actually going behind their back and shooting another project at the same time. So she's shooting on one set in the daytime, and on another set in the evening. And of course, this is going to lead to drama. <laughs> so uh, everything is going fine until um, there's a clash in scheduling conflict, and the one project wants to shoot at the same time as the other, and then we see how her agent has to sort of f- find out an ingenious way to get her to both shoots at the same time, on two different ends of the city, and uh yeah, I love I love Isabel, and I've um, kind of really adored her work for a very long time. She is known to be a very prolific uh actress. At uh, one year, she had four films nominated at Cannes, so. <laughs> You know, which is uh, extraordinary. She's uh, always working. Um, But for me, what's so fascinating about uh, her character, the way she plays herself in this episode, is that she never seems to feel any fatigue from the work that she's doing. And in fact, you know, it gets even more complicated than that. There's even more gigs and more jobs that she stacks on top of that pie. But she never loses it, for a second. She's just always kind of in the zone, and always in the flow. And I think that that's what's so fascinating, wasn't it for you?
2: I think she was saying that exact thing in the movie, right? Where like, oh, yes. I'm like, I'm yes. feeling in them, I'm a, I'm in a trance mode, or so, if I'm not wrong, yeah. They, she used the word like in yes. trance.
0: Yeah, that when she was in her dressing room, right. And then her agent comes to um, see her and he thinks that she's on drugs because she's actually taking a cortisone shot for her vocals. <laughs> and she's like, no, my only, who do you think I am? My only drug is dried fruits. And, <laughs> um, you know, and she says, you know, there is a point where, of course, my body's tired. But it, when you get to a point where you're beyond tired and you're on this sort of high and I think what she is really getting at here, which is something that it's interesting for us to deconstruct, is this idea of getting into the zone or what the, being in the flow is all about. Yeah. Um, I, I like to talk a little bit about um, this, uh, this hustle culture. I think, for me, this, this episode uh, of uh, with Isabelle Hupier is, is an interesting way to dissect... Uh, this phenomena that is very common in our lives today, which is this hustle culture. And, you know, we frequently see um, on Instagram and on social media uh, very dominant ideas about work uh, that sometimes makes us feel as though it is the work ethic or it is the way to be. You know, we see quotes like, the grind never stops, right? Outwork everyone else. You know, hustle until you no longer need to introduce yourself. Wake up, kick ass, repeat. Go hard or go home. Uh, you know, we have Elon Musk who admits that you know, you're, you're going to go a little bonkers if you work 120 hours a week, and for whom you know, 80 to 90 hours of work per week is, is quote-unquote manageable and sustainable. I think I think here that there's a misplaced idealism, and a reductive naivety about work, which is that it can meet all your needs and answer all your problems in life if you only work hard enough, and you know it assumes that everyone, uh, anyone who is not where they want to be, merely has to put in the hours of toil to arrive, and so if you're not there, then somehow you're being lazy or you're slacking off, or you need to work on your work ethic, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, immediately
2: like when you talk about like, just the hustle. Yeah. And, and when I look into my immediate surrounding, I could not, you know, I would say like 98% of people around me are just constantly going at it. And when you look at it, of course, you feel as if it's normal, right? But then mm. if I were to just really reflect on what has happened you know, to my life or, again, take note on little things that's happening around me with people who, who really push that hard, then I will spot that in, in, in between those hustles, they have the same pattern where someone's going to come at some point and see like, I'm breaking down. And yes. and and that word it keeps on popping up on like on a random basis. But then when you put it all together, it's a serious trouble. Yes. It's not just like a mild trouble. It's serious. Serious to the point where how could this have gone so far? <laughs> Yeah. As a society. Like
0: how, how did we arrive at this kind of a work ethic or rather, you know, how did this become all of our work ethics, right?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: I think this is an a, a interesting segue for us to really kind of uh, put the magnifying glass exactly on what is a work ethic and maybe deconstruct a little bit our assumptions about what this means. Just to kind of get a little bit below the surface, yeah? Yeah. I feel like today, we almost universally use the term work ethic to be synonymous with hardworking. W- would you agree, Dewey? Exactly. But this is really because of uh, American influence, right? Globally on our attitudes towards work. And um, you know, as, as we've discussed, the vast majority of hustle culture is derived from American mainstream and social media content but i feel like it's important to make this distinction because i mean you couldn't say that the danish and swedes have a worse work ethic because they take more breaks to improve productivity right yeah i mean when we think of scandinavian design or products we think of the way they make the uh, the things that they make or the services that their economy provides as being high quality and thoughtfully put together but this is entirely in direct relation to their work ethic, which includes, which happens to include a lot of breaks for coffee and cakes. I mean, the Swedes call this fika, right? The, it, it, fika can be a verb. The Swedes will say to each other, oh, let's go and fika or you and I fika so well together.
2: Like I could see, you know, when you mention like Scandinavians, um, you know, their system, their their work, you know, ethic, and and you mention, you know, us being influenced mostly by Americans. Like, if we we were to really just dig a little bit like how 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 it got so you know, contrast, <laughs> such a big contrast and separated, I think it, it's just so it's all kind of boiled down to how our economy are just built up, and and how the education system was set up so in place to support that American, or I would say, I believe, to the British system, because yes. it's yes. it for us to be so in that in that mindset like you're talking about like an entire population of the world we're talking about such a huge structure that that we're all into it and then we're when we're so all into it it becomes so normal that we have forgotten to even question like what you just did oh how about the scandinavians yeah
0: (laughs) what about the rest of the world like what's their work ethic right yeah there are so many examples around the world and in other cultures of um much healthier uh, work habits but this isn't just a a question about uh, you know uh, this culture doing this and this culture doing that because i think that there are problems uh in our uh, 21st century attitudes towards work in general uh which will deconstruct but uh, let's look at for example the the japanese okay i think the japanese are um an interesting uh a place to kind of look at some of these contradictions about work because, uh, you know, we we think of Japanese work ethic as being renowned, right? The meticulous attention to detail, the the relentless pursuit of perfection, you know. But, uh, you know, the the Japanese actually have a word for death by overwork. It's called karoshi. That's uh, people dying because they've worked themselves to the bone and um you know if it's very common in japan um, to to see people sleeping anywhere and everywhere in public it just the, yeah. they, they look like they've passed out or it looks like a zombie apocalypse <laughs> just descended on the city <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's actually really common and they have a word for this inu inumuri, uh, inumuri which which means uh, it's a a sleeping but not totally sleeping state I mean, the word literally means sleeping but being present. And um, this kind of sleeping, inumuri, is a sleeping on the job. It's not only tolerated, but, you know, sometimes people that are, are doing inumuri are viewed as more hardworking because it suggests that they've been sacrificing sleep for work. And, and I think, uh, you know, in a culture where there is karoshi, death by overwork, I think in a movie becomes necessary if you have no time to sleep. But in many ways, this makes no sense at all. Like if if, if you're sleeping in a bed or, or at home is considered a sign of laziness, then why isn't sleeping during an event or at work considered an even greater exp- uh, expression of of laziness? Like, what sense does it make to allow your children? to stay up late all night to study if it means that they'll fall asleep during class the next day, right?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I thought that, you know, of course, this this uh, uh, work ethic, what their work ethic is after the debris of World War II, uh, Japan rebuilt themselves and turned themselves into a first world country very quickly because of this hard work yes. in nature, right? Yeah. By the 1990s, the bubble, uh, economic bubble had popped and growth shriveled, and it's just been sort of stagnant. And, and it's a, um, the economy hasn't really been able to find its way out since then. But Japanese are still working as hard as ever. For Japanese are famous for not using their animal holiday leave, which I found fascinating. You know, Workers take only 52.4% of the paid leave to which they're entitled to. And one, one quarter of full-time employees work about 80 hours of overtime per month.
2: That's now, crazy. <laughs> that's
0: crazy. That's crazy. And why, why don't they take leave? I mean, this is leave that is entitled to them. But the average Japanese worker doesn't take this leave And the main reason here is guilt, right? Because there is, um, Japanese are uh, less individualistic. They're more collectivist of a society. So if, if, you know, we go to work together, you and I, Dewey, and you're not taking your paid leave, I don't want to take my paid leave either because I don't want to seem like a slacker next to Dewey that keeps showing up. Doesn't matter rain or shine. Doesn't matter if she's passing out at her desk. All the time in Inamuri, I want to show my my boss, my manager, that I'm a, as diligent a worker as Dewey is, right? I think um, you
2: touch a very uh, soft spot right there when you mention the word uh, guilt. So when when you, when you talk about um, guilt and when when it's a you know collective guilt. We can see that obviously it's it's being so influenced in in collectively so strong again that it becomes a, a norm. But, um, when you talk about guilt and and these are very deep psychological uh, behavior and and for us to collectively feel such huge guilt collectively, then it goes down. Like I look at it as as. Repeating habits right and and patterns that we have have not just from not just from the workplace but it has stemmed down for so long from our family from our daily lives from now our entire childhood and it's always good to you know to have a reflection about like of all our upbringing because it isn't indeed still a decision of ourselves after all if there is you know whatever the collective is doing it's still after all a a personal choice if I feel that it's too much to work that much but I still keep on going at it then there is something fundamentally like
0: it's self self destructive isn't it (sighs) It's like your 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 body <laughs> yeah. is literally collapsing in public. It is
2: self-destruct.
0: I mean, I'm looking at these <laughs> pictures of Inemuri, You know, I mean, we're not just talking about uh, people sleeping on the subway, which of course is is uh, endemic in Japan. It's everywhere. We're talking about people s- passed out in the in the subway stairs, on the side of the street, on staircases. Of course, uh, the fact that Japan, generally speaking, is a safer country. I mean, if you pass out in public, there's, uh, you're not generally afraid that you'll be robbed. It's generally, generally quite safe in that sense. But it's like the whole city has decided to use public space as um, a siesta station. And it's like <laughs> you just use your briefcase as a pillow. And that's good nobody's gonna you know take a second glance it's totally socially acceptable um, and in fact um, priced it's uh, it's looked upon highly because it, it, it's a public display of personal sacrifice is what it is it's saying to anyone that can see you hopefully your boss will walk by and see you passed out on the side of the street because then they'll know how hard you're actually working for the company right On this podcast, we'll take breaks, not for commercials, but to daydream and digest. This daydreaming break is brought to you by Dewey Light. Follow her YouTube channel for more comforting and relaxing ASMR style videos. That's D-E-W-I-L-I-G-H-T.
1: We're going to take a few minutes here to just wind down. Ease into the present moment. Release that cluster of thoughts one by one. It comes and it goes. Making space for yourself. Making space in our mind, in our body. Relax into the state of presence. Be right here in this space. It'll bring you more clarity. It'll bring you lightness in your mind, in your heart, in your body. Allow the flow Timeless flow to take over you. Breathe in and breathe out. All is good.
0: As we've seen, you know, work ethic, even though it's used synonymously today to, uh, to mean hardworking, it's, that's not necessarily the case, because there are other cultures uh, that have different kinds of work ethic. And, and so what are we really saying here then? Because if work ethic is our set of values or ethos about work, and it ranges from culture to culture, yet there's no question, right, that the universal common goal uh, is what enables us to be the most effective or productive. So it's about effectiveness not effort, right? That's why, you know, I think we're obsessed with productivity hacks and systems and ideas to develop more effective work habits. We see that everywhere today, right? So again, this is about effectiveness not effort. Yeah. Um but and I, this is a this is a really important point to distinguish, I feel like what is productivity anyway and how can we measure and quantify it because if you take three times as long to create a masterpiece of hand-blown glassware are you less productive than the worker or the machine that can assemble something similar with less detail but at a fraction of the time and labor cost? The global indicators that we use to measure economic productivity—they don't tell the whole story. Uh, give you an example: you know, despite Japan's culture of overworking, as we've seen, it actually ranks twenty-first for labor productivity among the thirty-six nations of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. It's actually the lowest amongst the G7 countries according to a 2018 report. And, um, and yet you could, you know, Japanese work ethic is renowned. So even though uh, Japanese um, work habits aren't productive by these modern economic indicators of productivity, Japanese work ethic is renowned and famous the world over, and it's characterized by a mixture of eye for detail and obsession resulting in exacting, meticulously considered products. Mm. i I'll give you an example of the, um, the musk melons that are grown in Japan, these couture crops, right? These musk melons, they're like cantaloupes or honey melons to the rest of us. But these musk melons are grown with such exquisite care that they fetch upwards of USD 200 each on the market. That's per fruit. <laughs> That's per fruit, and these, you know, these are everywhere in high-end grocery stores in Japan. Um, these these melons are grown with precise individual attention, all by hand. They're not farmed by machines. Okay, they're all grown by the farmer themselves, with practices that are passed down from generation to generation, and they're all trying to produce the perfect net pattern on the fruit. You know the the on the outside of the melon the skin of the melon yeah. the, the the pattern the yeah. net that it makes that's how they determine what the perfect f- specimen is and how they determine what the the cost is going to be this is so fascinating as a, as an example of um japanese work ethic on the other side of japanese work ethic perhaps mm. but you know when the fruits and this is in an age of um, mass production okay and uh, a commercial farming. Now Japanese farmers of musk melons farm their fruits in such a different way. When the fruits appear on each plant, the farmers only leave the best two or three fruit and they cut off all the others so that there's more energy that the plant can use to sustain the remaining two or three fruits. And then of these two to three fruits, only the best one specimen from each tree is actually harvested for sale based on flawless shape with no blemishes and damages and um, and, you know the uh, precise attention to the climate the temperature the amount and the timing of watering down to the seconds and individual constant care by hand so much so that these are like these are raised like the sons and the daughters of the farmers themselves so no wonder No wonder you should pay USD $200 per fruit. Mm. So what I'm trying to get at is that there is an idealism. There is an idealism at play here. There's a commitment to an ideal that governs their work ethic. And they're not trying to produce as many melons that can be sold as possible. They're not trying to be productive in the normal sense of the word. There is actually a Japanese word Kodawari that um, describes this, which is the relentless pursuit of perfection. Mm. I think that work, for work to be, um, to feel good and for work to be meaningful, just like the Japanese muskmelon farmers, there needs to be a certain practice of idealism at play. There needs to be a certain um, pursuit of excellence. Being a perfectionist myself, um, I uh, constantly thinking about these issues because I um, I would say that in my 20s, I struggled through a lot of depression and uh, difficult mental periods um, because of my um, pursuit of perfection and um, not knowing when to allow or take a step back from the process in order to allow it to unfold. Um, and um, I know, Dewey, that you've also, I mean, w- one of the things that we've talked about quite frequently, in fact, when, when we first met, uh, really we bonded on was this um, these cycles, right, of uh, mental health and um, trying to pursue uh, something that is uh, idealistic, um, that is uh, that requires a certain amount of... Um, conviction or commitment but then also still wanting to be healthy and happy well, in the process
2: to 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 just reflect on that about idealism it really come it, it really comes down to um, knowing that you have room for growth and you allow time for that growth and I think it was also part of like the prime priming. Like, so our, our minds are being primed through our you know uh, during our education years that certain things has to be done at a certain time, and and when we're primed that way, when you we have to complete something at an X amount of time, otherwise you're you're not gonna you know otherwise you're not gonna um, be you know graded properly or or otherwise you're not gonna complete school and then you're gonna fall fall out right I mean there's there's a lot of fear based um, around com- completing our, our work and when we put t- time into the equation it becomes a uh, Anxious, it's, it develops an anxiety in, in, in any of us that we have to like, oh, I gotta get somewhere at X amount of time. But if we put idealism, say right now, I could use that for my, for my case where I spread out my timetable and I say, I'm gonna leave room for more time for, for, for everything. Just for me to to understand my own pace first i'm still I'm still in the ideal I cannot change who I am as a perfectionist but if I spread it out and say that I can it, it take a little bit more time to craft this I can take extra time to do that then 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 it starts to shift mm. there's no more pressure as much as before right or the pressure is just at least reduce significantly right.
0: I think it's about enjoying the process too isn't it when you say it's like if you're not yeah. so focused on trying to attain the end result but you enjoy the process because every step is part of your journey every step is you know it, it, it is not a means to an end but the process itself is an end in itself because uh, you feel fulfilled then um, it's a great place to be you know you're energized you're happy you're effective um, and your great ideas are coming to you quite effortlessly and um, and you have the energy to actually execute without um, feeling like there's a ton of resistance Um, I I feel like in in today's um, especially in this moment where we are as a species um, it's so critical to use the opportunity that the pandemic has provided for us to reassess how we want to work and to demand it of ourselves and our, 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 the people that we work with, right? It's like, it's like we need to take the initiative to investigate how we feel about work and then to request it when we do work to say, like, this is what we need. Please support me in XYZ. And this is what I will not do beyond this point i will not do this because i will not be effective anyway if i if i if 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 you make me work in this way and um yes hopefully that would be a more empowered way to kind of um to, to to do our work and because we don't want to overload you let's stop here this time and allow these ideas to sit for a while and we'll pick up this discussion in part two Thanks so much for joining us today. I am your daydreaming sensei, Gary Young. You can follow my Instagram at gary.yong and my YouTube channel if you're interested to check out my film work. For more information on Dewey, check out her site, iamdewey.com or follow her on Instagram at iamdeweyforever. See you next time and remember to daydream.